Well, amen to that. So glad to be here with you this morning. Um, I'm Dave Talley, and I worship over at uh, La Mirada campus, and worship everywhere. Yes, wherever I go, hopefully, everywhere I go. Um, but it's so good when I get to come back here to Fullerton, and Danny Jansen, good morning to you. Saw you sitting across the way. Send your brother off to Japan, and can you sneak in here? Good to see you. Um, but just a privilege for me to be a part of what's going on here. We're going to be in Mark chapter 7 this morning. So if you would open up your Bibles there, it's been wonderful to be singing about all the riches that we have in Christ, all that he's accomplished for us. And we get to see the beginnings of the riches that we experience in Christ this morning here in Mark chapter 7. Do you need a Bible? Anybody need a Bible at all? We've got some Bibles back there we'd love to put in your hands if anyone needs one. Looks like we're all good. Uh, we love to open up God's Word and learn from it. It feeds us. And that's what we want to do this morning. Mark chapter 7. Let me read verses 24 through 37. And then we'll pray. And then we'll begin working our way through this passage. Mark 7 verse 24. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis, and they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. Taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephratha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He's done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Let's pray and ask God to use this time. Lord, we are so grateful for your word. It is eternal. And you have preserved it for even such a time as this. So on this day in Fullerton, California, we could all be seated here together, open up the riches of your word, and you want to minister to us through this passage. So Lord, we are here. Our hearts are open and receptive. We bring all different kind of stuff into this room, the lives that we're living, the things that we're up against. Maybe we're disoriented and our hearts being drawn away or maybe we're rejoicing because of the fullness of your love. Lord, regardless of what it is, we are here today and we pray that you would meet us right where we are and feed us whatever it is that we need to be fed from above. 
So, Lord, we give this time to you, give our hearts to you, our lives to you, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. There is a, an outline that you can follow in the bulletin. There's just a couple points that I want to make this morning, and we're going to look at two different stories, and hopefully I'm going to be able to pull them together. I've entitled the message, When a Crumb Becomes a Banquet, and hopefully that will make more sense to you in just a little bit as we work our way through this passage. But have you ever thought, let me just begin with this, have you ever thought that you were getting something minimal, something small, and instead it became huge and it caught you by surprise? And you're like, whoa, I thought I was just getting this and I got this instead. A few years back, I wanted to create a special father-son moment. And so my, my, my favorite football team is the Dallas Cowboys. My son is the Green Bay Packers. And so I thought, wow, wouldn't that be great to take him to Green Bay, Wisconsin and watch a Green Bay game against the Dallas Cowboys? Well, it's almost impossible to get a ticket to a Green Bay game. I mean, these tickets are held by families for generations. <laughs> and it so happened that that year, Green Bay was going to Dallas to play them in a game. And so I thought, well, I've got a few contacts. So I contacted a friend that had been on my basketball team when I coached high school basketball, and he's at a church there. And I thought, do you have any contacts that could get me into this game? He said, yeah, let me check around. There's a guy that's contacted me a few times. I'll get back with you. Well, I waited and waited and kept trying to contact him. Well, finally, on the Monday of the week that Green Bay was going to Dallas to play them on Thursday night, special Thursday night football game, I get a message from him and he says, I've got tickets. Can't promise anything. Don't know how good they are, but I've got tickets. So immediately I got on the phone. I mean, I had class in like 30 minutes and I made airline reservations, got a hotel, ran off to class. My heart just going, oh, oh, oh man, we're going to do this thing. We're going to do it. So Andrew and I flew down there and did all the you know, fun stuff, went to Walmart and got all the Dallas Cowboys stuff we could buy and put it all on. And we looked obviously like tourists in town. And the guy meets us at the hotel. He's going to take us to the stadium. And he meets us at the hotel and says, listen, I, I can't promise anything. I don't know if these are good seats, but... You know, we got tickets, and I said, listen, I just want to get in the stadium. That's all I want to do is get in the stadium. So we did all the pregame stuff and lots of fun stuff going on around there, and, and finally it's time to go to the game, and he mentions to me again. I mean, he's just so apologetic. I, I can't, I mean, I don't know what kind of seats these are, but I said, listen, we just want to be in the stadium. So we go get in line, and we're getting ready to hand the man our ticket, and he looks at these tickets, and he escorts the three of us over to a special elevator. And we get into this elevator, and I'm thinking, wow, I mean, I don't know if this is good news or we're heading up to the nosebleed seats and nobody could possibly walk up there. <laughs> I don't know. So the door opens up, and there's all these doors there, and he, he tells us which door to go through, and we go through, we open up this door, and we look down, and we are in box seats. Andrew just runs down the middle aisle, rips open this window, and there we are. The, you can hear the crowd noise, and we are almost exactly on the 50-yard line. It's just amazing. And when Andrew gets over the excitement of just looking out over the crowd, seeing the field, then all of a sudden his nose begins to pick up certain smells just moving through the room and looks behind him. All oh, you can eat pizza. Any kind of pizza you would want, it's right there. And then 
good old Southern barbecue. I mean, just piles of it. And so all of us, we're starting to just chow down. And so this lady comes out and says, would you like anything to drink? And Andrew gives his you know, order, non-alcoholic, of course. And, and it comes in. And, and it was one of those times where you could just drink, set your cup down. And when you came back, it was full again. Someone constantly just pampering you, constantly food coming out. And you sit down at the desk, I mean, the little table that was in front of us, and you didn't have to say, Daddy, Daddy, please buy me a program. There were multiple programs. There were programs all over the place in that room. I mean, I just wanted to get into the stadium. And it became one of the most amazing experiences a father and son could ever have. And we just loved that time. I think that we're going to find something similar in our passage today. You heard me read about crumbs, the crumbs that fall from the table. That's all this woman wants. But what we're going to find is she gets a whole lot more than that. She just wanted a crumb, but she actually gets the banquet. When we come to Luke chapter 7, verse 20, I mean, Mark chapter 7, yeah, Luke would be a long way away. Uh, Mark chapter 7, verse 24, we are entering a unit. There are three stories in this unit, verses 24 to 30, in 31 to 37, and then in the chapter 8, verses 1 through 10. And so these stories are in a unit, and I want to explain why they're in a unit as we work our way through this passage. But what I want you to know right now is that these stories flow naturally out of the passage that Gerald was walking you through last week. Jesus has been taking on the religious leaders. There's some clashing that's taking place. And especially in the area of their oral laws, most specifically the laws of cleanliness. And so they had all these laws of what was clean and what was unclean. This is not something that our minds really track with. When you read through the Old Testament, it's probably one of the most confusing things you could possibly ever read through. This makes a person clean. This makes a person unclean. You're scratching your head. Well, how does that make someone unclean? I mean, that's just something natural that happens to us. But this is the way they looked at their world. It, it didn't not make sense to them. It made all kinds of sense to them. Well, in order to really work this through their everyday life, they had traditions and laws that they had added and just explained all of the stuff because the worst thing that could happen to you was to become unclean. So they were constantly trying to pay attention to what makes them clean. Now, last week, when we were working through this passage, Jesus has made it clear that what makes a person unclean is what comes out of the heart. It's not food. And so um, Mark even says in verse 20 or 19, in parentheses, thus he declared all foods clean. So it's not something you take into your mouth. It's what comes out of the heart that makes someone unclean. And now as we move into this unit of three stories, Jesus wants to say it's not only not food, Food is not only something that does not make you unclean, neither does ethnicity. Ethnicity doesn't make you unclean either. If, and so Jesus is now moving into a Gentile territory. He's going to use himself as an example to go into this area where your, your average Jew who wanted to maintain cleanliness would not go because that would put you in danger of becoming unclean. Jesus now moves in there and he wants us to see if all foods are clean as he saw in this previous passage, so also are all people clean. So the prevailing thought of the Jews is we are clean. 
Gentiles are unclean. But what we're finding, if we just step back from this passage and all that we've been seeing in Mark, there's a, there's a wild paradox in front of us. The Jewish religious leaders who saw themselves as the clean ones, what is coming out of their heart? Well, it's rebellion. They are rejecting Messiah. I mean, ultimately, they are giving evidence by what is coming out of their heart that even though they're keeping all their little laws and oral traditions, they themselves are, in fact, unclean. And just the opposite is true of this Gentile woman who everything about her was just unclean, 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 unclean. What's coming out of her heart? Well, Jesus is going to use the word faith when we look at the parallel passage in Matthew. This, this passage is also found in Matthew chapter 15. And I'm going to be going back and forth. In the Gospels, oftentimes it's very good to read passages together. And so Matthew provides some interesting details that, that Mark does not. And so we'll be looking back and forth at this. So what we find going on here is that Jesus is going to move into an unclean area. Now we're in Gentile region. He's going to encounter an unclean person, this Gentile woman, and he's going to cast out an unclean spirit. And then in verses 31 to 37, Jesus is going to continue in this unclean area and he's actually going to bring kingdom realities. There's going to be healing. So all these things that are evidence of the cursed world in which we live, Jesus is going to start undoing that curse and, and bring to them the joy of what it means to be impacted by the kingdom. And then in the third story, that's next week, Jesus is going to replicate and miracle that he did earlier with clean people feeding the 5,000. He's going to replicate that with those who are unclean. Again, bringing them this incredible impact of the kingdom. Mark is continuing to emphasize, emphasize a mission to the Gentiles. He's continuing to set that forth. And as Jesus moves in the Gentile territory, this is a preview of what's going to happen in the future when the gospel explodes in the Gentile regions, all the nations. And the response of this Gentile woman that is true faith that the, the, the Jewish leaders, religious leaders are not even evidencing, this faith is going to preview what we're going to see that's going to happen around the world. You go to the book of Acts and you start seeing this Gentile faith. And we here this morning are also evidence of the Gentile faith. This is a preview of actually what even happens to us as we meet Christ. So let's look at these two points. The first one is the Gentiles are not excluded from the kingdom. Not just food doesn't make you unclean, but neither does your ethnicity make you unclean. So look at verse 24. And from there, and so we could go back to, you know, verse 17 of chapter 7 and even other places. He had entered a house and he was with his disciples. Now from there, he goes to this other house in this particular area. He's go, he journeys to the region of Tyre and Sidon is what it says in verse 24. Some of your Bibles may not say and Sidon, may just say Tyre. Some manuscripts have one of these and the other manuscripts have both. But look down at verse 31. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon. We know that he's going into this area. And so this is clearly Gentile area. He goes into this house we see in the next verse there. And he doesn't want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. Now, we don't know exactly why Jesus is going into this area except 
to somehow move into this uncleanliness that's there. But this theme in Mark of Jesus trying to get away, trying to be in private, trying to be alone and never succeeding is something Mark's always giving us these details to the story. Jesus is it's just too, it's impossible for him to fly under the radar. He's just too popular. These people know about him. He's actually been, um, had an impact on these people before. Chapter 3 talks about a great crowd that comes around Jesus, and some of them were from Tyre and Sidon. So that impact is out there. They know who Jesus is. And so in verse 25, but immediately, remember Mark's use of immediately throughout his um, gospel, but immediately a woman whose little daughter, that's got to get you immediately. Here's a mom. And it's not just a daughter, her little daughter. We aren't told the age, but this is just tug at your heart. Here's a woman coming to him who has a major need. And he, he, she comes to him because of her little daughter is possessed by an unclean spirit. Now, here's the scene that you need to get. Already what we have seen is Jesus has left the Jewish masses behind. He has come to a region that is unclean. This is Gentile territory. And now he encounters this woman who is unclean. And then notice how Mark also says, and her daughter is possessed by something unclean as well. I mean, this is just all over the story. If you look at the rest of the story, I think that it's so intentional for Mark to be doing this. He wants you to see it's clearly unclean because in the rest of the story, he's going to use... Three times, not unclean spirit, but rather demon. He's going to use demon in the rest of the story, possessed by a demon, cast out the demon, the demon left her. But here, right from the beginning, he's trying to make it so clear that this is unclean. This is a Gentile woman, not a Gentile, I mean, not a Jew, not a God-fearer, not one of the clean people. In Matthew, in his account, chapter 15, verse 22, it gives another descriptor that's not found in this passage. She was a Canaanite. Now, when you step back and look at the big picture of the Bible, wow, I mean, good grief, a Canaanite. Go back to when Joshua was bringing the people into the land that God had promised them they were going to wipe out the Canaanites because their abominations were rising up to the Lord and he had had it, even as promised to Abram. This is going to be 400 some years from now. Why? Because the sin of the Amorite, this Canaanite people, is not yet complete. But when it comes, going to wipe them out. But there's still remnants. And that word is powerful in a Jewish context. This idea that she was a Canaanite, she is unclean. And she's, he's in this region where Josephus pointed out the antagonism between these unclean people and the clean Jews. Josephus, a Jewish historian, referred to the people in this region, region as our bitterest enemies. There was no love lost between these two groups. They did not like each other. And that's where Jesus is. This area is known for outright paganism. And that's where Jesus finds himself. And to make it even more clear, this spirit that is in this little daughter is unclean. Everything about this environment that Jesus is moving into is unclean. You follow me on this? This is not where Jesus should find himself. But he's trying to make a point. Not only are not what the foods that you put in your mouth what makes one clean, all foods are clean, your ethnicity does not make you unclean either. 
So irrespective of all these odds stacked against her, this Gentile woman, Canaanite, from this pagan area, bitterest enemies of the Jews, what does she do? She sees Jesus as her only hope. Her eyes are fixed on the one to whom she sees can reach into her life and be the only one that can bring restoration for her. And so she lays herself down before the Lord. And she addresses him as Lord even. Look down in verse uh, 28. Yes, Lord. Her eyes are on. She sees him as Lord. And this is the only time in Mark's gospel that someone else uses this word Lord for Jesus. Jesus uses the word Lord three times for himself. But this is the only time someone else addresses him as Lord, his rightful title. And it's a Gentile woman in this unclean area. Mark is trying to make a point here. And so she lays herself down. There's an urgency with this woman. She is, it says in verse 26, she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. Now listen to what Matthew chapter 15 in verses 22 and 23 brings out about this story. In verse 22, and behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. Notice that son of David, rich with Old Testament thought there. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon, but he, Jesus, did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him saying, send her away. For she's crying after us. That's how much her pleading has become. Her begging. She's just pleading with the Lord. Not just, Lord, can you help me? But this constant sense to where the disciples are saying, Jesus, send her away. This is embarrassing. Or whatever their thoughts were. That's the kind of pleading that's there. Her eyes are on Jesus. She's calling him Lord. And here it is, a Gentile that's doing this. Now, we've got to keep in mind the previous passage. Look at chapter 7, verse 15. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Look at verse 20. What comes out of a person is what defiles him. What is coming out of this woman? What is coming out of this woman is faith. What is coming out of this woman is calling Jesus Lord. She is evidencing this faith that's coming out of her heart. And that's the point that Mark wants to make here. There's no one that's outside the reach of Jesus. Even Gentiles who the Jews saw as unclean. And so in the, in the midst of all of this crying out, Lord, help me, Jesus responds with a parable. And the parable is simple enough. In verse 27, he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now, this can, can be seen by some as in, in ways a, a racist comment. Some would say that the Gentiles were considered dogs, and now Jesus is stepping into this and calling her a dog. And this is where we have to be careful, in my opinion, not to push a parable too far and make it say more than what it's saying. Although it's a very appropriate parable because it's also going to get the disciples' attention and the crowd's attention who's around them. But what Jesus is ultimately emphasizing is that children are to be fed the bread. You don't have a plate bringing it out to children that belongs to them and go, ah, ha, 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 and throw it to the dogs. 
and not feed the children. You wouldn't do that. That bread is for the children. The children are the priority. They are to be fed first. And then if there might be leftovers, it might go to the dog. Jesus does not necessarily deny her because of her status, nor does Jesus see her as unclean and with regard to all these traditions of laws that are around them. Instead, he's emphasizing Jewish priority. In Matthew 15, 24, again, just going back to that story, again, it makes it very, very clear. Matthew puts some words here that helps us. When they say, when the disciples say, send her away, she's crying after us. Then Jesus answers to, to her, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. That's the point that Jesus is making. I was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, Lord, help me. She kept on begging. And that's when Jesus gives this parable. It's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. You don't understand, woman. My ministry is not to you and your people. My ministry is ultimately to the Jews. That's my particular mission. That's what I've been called to. In Romans 1.16, Paul even brings this out. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. But notice what he says. To the Jew first, and then also to the Greek or the Gentile. The Jew, Jewish priority, we're going to see this in the book of Romans as well, as the gospel begins to go out. Jesus says on the mountaintop before he goes up into heaven, you are to be my witnesses. Judea, Jerusalem, Samaria, uttermost parts of the world. That's where Jesus wants to send them out. And in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit comes down on them in Jerusalem. That's the Jewish Pentecost. They speak in tongues, giving evidence of this new heart, the new covenant it had promised in the Old Testament. And then you go a few chapters along in chapter 8, and all of a sudden Samaritans are brought in. And then we have a Samaritan Pentecost. Spirit comes down. They speak in tongues, also giving evidence to this new co covenant. And then you get to chapter 10, and the gospel goes to Cornelius, and his household gets saved. And then... The Holy Spirit comes down and they speak in tongues, also giving evidence. We see the progress of this. But for right now, Jesus says, the priority is the Jew. It's going to go to the Gentile, but we've got a priority right here. But yet she begs Jesus. And so Jesus has given her this parable. It's going to fall to the, the crumbs. Will, the crumbs, crumbs may fall to the dogs, but we've got to give the bread to the children here. In verse 28, what is interesting is the lady is not intimidated by Jesus one single bit. She's not put off by the parable one bit. This is the only time in the Gospel of Mark where someone's actually in a parable in some kind of way and they don't walk away in a huff. Think about how many times already the Pharisees have been part of a parable and they've, oh, we got to kill this guy. I can't believe they know he's talking about them. Here, she knows Jesus is saying, you are not my priority in this parable. You are the dog. That is not my focus. I'm bringing children to the bread. And she doesn't walk away in a huff. Again, notice her eyes are on Jesus. She knows this is her only hope and she'll gladly take crumbs. If all I get is crumbs from the table, I'm going to take it. And that's what she says to Jesus, that evidences his incredible faith. Yes, Lord, yet even dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Watch this video 
as I was working my way through this passage, we had friends over. And we were eating Pepe's breakfast burritos from Brea. Unbelievable burritos. And look at the dog. Man, he's just, uh, just trying to check out what crumb is going to drop. And that looks like to be a favorite seat. That's Joni right there. Maybe something I don't even think she was eating at the time. But the dog just waiting to gobble something up. And then later on, we went into our kitchen and we began to cook for a Brazilian barbecue. And there was a lot of scraps going into the trash can. And look at that dog right there. Just going to lay down and just wait for the crumbs to drop. And that's what this Gentile woman is saying. She is saying, yes, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Her faith is strongly evidenced here. Jesus is making it clear to all that this woman, whom the masses would see as unclean, is in fact clean. She's, in, she's clean. Although in the parable, she might be the dog that's there because she's not the priority of the gospel, the kingdom message going to the Jews, and she's looking for scraps. Jesus is not going to treat her like a dog. And that's where we don't want to push the parable too far. Jesus actually allows her to be a recipient of the kingdom, doesn't he? He says to her, this statement, by the, for this statement, you may go your way, the demon has left your daughter. He gives her the blessings of the kingdom. She is not on the outside of God's favor. Jesus extends kingdom privileges to her too. This message of the kingdom that's been going to Jews throughout this gospel now is being extended to the Gentiles as well. And it's more than crumbs. Do you get that? It's more than crumbs. Don't push the parable too far. She gets a seat at the table as well. The bread that is for the, the Jews is also being delivered to her at this point. It's simply not time for Jesus to put his attention on the Gentiles, to the Jew first, and then also to the Greek or to the Gentiles. And so Jesus doesn't look at her according to her human status. He looks to her according to her human need, and her little daughter is healed. This story is intended to teach and make a point. It's not just that food, all foods are clean, all people are clean too. What is it that makes someone unclean? It's what comes out of their heart. Religious leaders, what's coming out of your heart? Rebellion, rejecting the Messiah. You, in fact, are the ones who are unclean. And here's this Gentile woman, everything stacked against her. And what's coming out of her heart? It's faith, it's belief. Matthew makes this even clearer again. I love what it says in Matthew 15, 28. Jesus answers her. Oh woman, great is your faith. Not just for this statement, you may go your way, your daughter's heal, heal, healed, but great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. Jesus is making it clear that this woman is in fact, not just is she not unclean, she's actually giving evidence to being an Abrahamic believer. What the Jews were supposed to be evidence in their life. Abraham believed God and it was counted him for righteousness. And she's out of her heart is coming that kind of faith. She enters this parable. She accepts it. She takes whatever Jesus will give. Why? Because her eyes are on Jesus. He is the only hope. 
Jesus said it this way, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes through the Father but by me. And her eyes just locked on Jesus. She engages that parable. She doesn't pull away. Jesus is blowing up these present-day categories of what is clean and unclean. And so now, the kingdom message is available for all. But first, Israel is going to be the ones to hear the gospel. I love what it says in Galatians, even. We're going to remind ourselves of this passage later on. But in Galatians chapter 3, what Paul says there is this, and it just really brings it home. Verses 28 and 29. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offsprings, heirs, according to the promise. She's at the table. She's feasting. And in verses 31 to 37, the reason we aren't going to spend much time there is because we see more kingdom blessings going to the Gentiles. And it's interesting that Mark gives us just one healing. He just gives us one. But again, when you go back to Matthew and you look at this next scene, it gives a summary statement of lots that took place in that time. That same story, Matthew 15, verses 29 to 31. Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee. And he went up on the mountain and sat down there. And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet and he healed them. So that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled, healthy, the lame, walking, the blind, seeing. And they glorified the God of Israel. See, the kingdom is being manifest in front of them. And what are they doing? They're glorifying God. And we see this example of this Gentile woman coming to him in belief in the end of our passage in verse 37. And they were astonished beyond measure saying, he's done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak and they're giving glory to God. Well, what does this passage have to do with us? I just want to make three points here in conclusion. God is making a way. And this gospel is going to the children first, the Jews, and then it's going to go to the Gentiles. But I just want to make three points here. Number one, the gospel's for all of you. No one is excluded, not a single person. And oftentimes in a group this large, you, you can run into finding someone in the room who's sitting there in their isolated self and in their depths of their heart, they believe that those out here our beneficiaries of the gospel, God would want them through Jesus, but not me. This passage is for you. No one, no one is outside the reach of the good news of Jesus. It is for everyone. And not only is that true, but we all need to have this attitude as we continue to look at people around us. Don't give up on anyone. No one is outside. No one has done too much bad that they could not be allowed to be brought in to the banquet table. Everyone. So I was talking to Jan Buck earlier. We've been praying for Doug for years. He's not out of God's reach. He can be brought into the banquet table and we should never cease praying for people. We should never cease reaching out to people. We've got to have the same attitude as Jesus. Oh, he had a priority. But it doesn't mean he wasn't going to feed the Gentiles that came into his presence. The second point I would make here is this. I would ask a question. Is the fact that you are the dog in the parable offensive to you? 
You see, we don't oftentimes feel the effect of this. We don't oftentimes feel Jewish priority. Why? Well, because we've been invited in. We're living in the fullness of time. We wouldn't experience this like she did. She said, just give me the crumbs and that will be enough. And what we've learned as the, the message has gone to Gentiles is we get more than crumbs, don't we? We were dead and he made us alive in Christ Jesus. We were far off and he brought us near. We are joint heirs with his son. He is lavished on us. Spiritual blessings in the heavenly places, as we were looking at earlier in Ephesians 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We are not dogs under the table begging for crumbs. Jesus prepared a seat for us and he invited us in. Once the gospel went to the Jews in the way that God had set forth his plan, it went to the Gentiles and we are all one in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah to that. We're seated at the table. The third point I would want to make from this is we need to be impacted by what Jesus is doing here. We need to be impacted by it. There's no one outside of his reach. The message needs to go to all. This Jew goes into this unclean territory, regardless of what the other Jewish leaders might be thinking of him. Unclean territory, unclean person, casting out an unclean spirit, giving kingdom privileges to unclean people, and even feeding 4,000 unclean people with this little bread and few fish. Jesus goes out, and he's given this task to us now. We are to be those people who now take that message to those who have never heard and invite them to the banquet. That's our number one job. We are ambassadors of his great name. As we leave this building today, we all go to neighborhoods and we ought to be involved in what is going on. Danny and his wife, can't remember your name, Krista, going to be planting a church. Why? Because there's more and more people around here who need to hear about Jesus. But Jesus goes beyond the territories of those who were a part of kingdom blessings so that he could take it to more and more people. We are to evangelize our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, but also the uttermost parts of the world. And so every time we take up an offering, we take 20% of that and we send it outside these walls, some to local ministries, but some to the uttermost parts of the world. We have missionaries in Tunisia, Thailand, Oman, really wanting to be in Yemen, Chad, Congo, India, Hungary, Japan, Colombia, targeting the 1040 window, trying to reach the unreached people groups. Every day, an unreached people group of the day comes to me from the Joshua Project. Listen to the one that came this last week. It was the week before, because I preached this last week at La Mirada. The majority of the Samongo practice various ethnic religions and a sizable minority is Muslim. Like many other West African tribes, the Samongo practice the tradition of worshiping dead ancestors. Now listen to this. The people also believe that the supreme God is too distant to worship directly and that therefore the only way to serve him or to worship him is through a spirit. They need to know about Jesus, don't they? Jesus has made access to God. 
We come boldly before, before the throne because we have access through Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. They are lost in their desperate attempts to try to get through God by worshiping idols and trying to call on spirits to go to him. They need to hear about Jesus. If they call on Jesus, they can have access to God. And that becomes our job to take the gospel to people who have never heard. We either go, and some from our congregation are, or we send, and that's why we continue to give. Some would say, if we didn't give so much money to missions, then we could solve some of our budget problems. Oh, no, no, no. We need to continue because Jesus modeled this for us, pushing the boundaries so that everyone could hear the good news of the gospel. In Matthew 24, 14, Jesus said this, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. What's the next step on God's timeline? It's the end coming. That's the next step. And so until then, what are we called to do? To do what Jesus is doing right here. To take the gospel to the next step. To take it to the next step. Whatever it means for us to go or to finance it. We need to do like Jesus and take that message. There is no one outside the reach of Jesus. And so we have even Jesse and Caleb going to Palestine this summer. Why? Because they need to hear. They need to hear the gospel. They need to hear the good news of Jesus. But we all carry to our neighbors and our coworkers as well. Jesus models for us that there is a plan. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth. Let's close in prayer. And Kenny's going to come and lead us in a closing song. But let me pray. Lord, would you help us to be like Jesus? Would you give us hearts that are so in love with you and believe so much the power of the gospel that we would be proclaimers and that we would be senders, that we would have a heart to reach the ends of the earth? Lord, help us with that. Lord, we want to be like Jesus. And so we pray now that you would stir in our hearts in ways that you seem necessary. Get a hold of us, Lord. And now I'm going to ask that you would just silently pray before Kenny leads us.